This is the Think LA podcast from Los Angeles, the center of advertising, marketing, and media. As the business of automotive continues to restart across the country, Think LA has created a set of webinars that will tee up this year's Automotive Summit on October 21st. These hour-long sessions will discuss how marketing, media, and data will help automakers drive their business forward through unprecedented times in the automotive industry. Our first automotive discussion session took place on August 11th as moderators Randall McAdory, Pandora VP, Head of Industry Automotive, Joe Kiriakosa, IHS Market VP, General Manager Automotive Marketing Services, sat down with industry experts to discuss how strategies around media, data, and marketing are being used to help automakers thrive in a rapidly changing auto industry. You'll also hear from Jim Helberg, EVP Chief Media Officer at RPA, and Angela Zapeta, Chief Marketing Officer, Hyundai Motor America. We hope you enjoy this episode. Please go to thinkla.org for more events and sign up for our newsletter. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Automotive Discussions webinar series. I'm Don Lupo, ThinkLA Executive Director, and we're so glad you could join us today. Before we get started, just a few reminders. This Thursday, we're going to be celebrating the best creative work in LA with our virtual idea awards. Tickets and bundles are still available, so head over to our website and register today. We'll be hosting another Automotive Discussions next month on September 17th. That'll be focusing on how dealer and automotive consumer purchase model has really evolved in a rapid fashion in just a matter of months. Registration is open now on our website. And of course, our big auto summit is going virtual on October 21st. This is gonna be a can't miss educational opportunity. Tickets will be available for this virtual event next month. Please visit our website at thinkla.org to register for our newsletter and find out about more upcoming events and programming, including webinars like this and podcasts. The Think LA podcast is now available on Apple, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Google, and more. And before we jump into the program, I really want to thank Pandora for sponsoring this morning's webinar. For many of us, it's our constant companion as we continue to work remotely, just like it's kept us going in our offices. We appreciate Pandora's support and their help in bringing thought-provoking educational topics like today's to our community. Thank you so much, Pandora. During the conversation, Please submit your questions via the Q&A button at the bottom of your Zoom screen, and we'll address them at the end of our presentation. And now, please welcome Matt Sanga, the LA Sales Director for Automotive at Pandora, to let you know more about today's program and our panelists. Matt? Thanks, Don. Hey, everybody. Good morning and good afternoon in uh, whatever time zone you might be in. Thank you so much for joining us today uh, for Think LA's Automotive Discussion Series. So for those of you that don't know me, Matt Skanga, I am Pandora's West Coast Auto Team Lead, and I am absolutely thrilled to be here. What uh, We have an amazing lineup of automotive marketing experts 
So that's going to be great. Let me uh, quickly introduce everybody. I'll be briefed. Uh, our esteemed panel consists of Angela Zapata, Chief Marketing Officer at Hyundai Motor America, Mr. Jim Helberg, Executive Vice President, Chief Media Officer at RPA. And our moderators today will be Randall McAdory, VP, Head of Industry Automotive for Pandora, and Joe Kirikosa, who is VP, General Manager at Polk Automotive Data IHS Market. So without further ado, I will turn us over to Joe. Great, thank you very much, Matt. Uh, looking forward to basically walking through some, some things that our analysts have been working on um, feverishly over the past few months. And I think um, it's, a, it's a going joke to say that our analysts have probably never worked so much yet traveled so, you know, so few miles versus uh, a normal, normal time period. So uh, with so much change and so much going on with the shifts in how we're forecasting the industry, um, there's, there's quite a few uh, developments that continue to evolve. So we're gonna bring you up to speed on where we are uh, from an industry perspective. And um, like I said, we have a, a really solid team of analysts. I'm just one of the guys talking about the data. They're the ones who really pull it together. Um, so, uh, so really what we've seen here is I've never before um, experienced changes in the market at, at the pace that they're happening. The data is fluid, it's constantly shifting based on economic factors based on COVID-19, uh, protocols, unemployment, uh, and so many other factors. So, so let's, let's get into some of the data that we're seeing as of now. So, you know, when you look at the most recent month behind us, July, uh, we, we started to see some real signs of recovery. Uh, our forecast, as a result, we increased slightly uh, in just that month due to that healthy uh, activity that we saw in July. So if you look, uh, this is kind of look, looking back five years and looking forward five years, we've made a slight adjustment from June when we, uh, when we had a, a forecast revision to another slight revision in July. So now we're predicting for 2020 that 13.3 million units will be sold. Now that's still 22% versus last year down, um, but, um, but still some positivity because at the beginning of the pandemic, we were looking at 12 and a half million units. So, so we've seen some encouragement in the numbers and that we see uh, for 21, we'll follow up to about 14.6 million units, which will be at about a 10% increase from this year if all things kind of go as, as they are. Um, so our analyst increased forecast um, you know, but there are risks, right, with, with any of these numbers. And again, they just continue to, to evolve. There's obviously the risk of rise, rising COVID cases. There's this potential second wave with potential lockdowns that could, you know, could hamper consumer ability to, you know, to spend as well as to actually buy vehicles. And then inventory, right? So as, as we've seen in, in the industry, when the plants shut down, there's a lack of availability for certain vehicles, and, and that could definitely stun some near-term growth. So, so there's, these are the new numbers, but there's risk, um, as always. 
when we start to, to see this in a, in a broader picture on scenarios, you know, so our analysts obviously are, are living in this new reality of, you know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. We don't have the stability of the past. So we have scenarios that we look at and uh, this approach, you know, really looks at our baseline forecast, which is where we are now, uh, to also look at optimistic and pessimistic scenarios. And what you see on the chart there, uh, the baseline is the green line that kind of resolves here in the middle, where, you know, versus 2019, again, we had a really healthy, vibrant industry at 17 million units. Um, we're estimating about 13.3 million in 20, and then that trajectory back up over time. Um, but like, regardless, it's been a, a difficult year. And, and, the, and from an economic standpoint, a recession that was deeper than 08 and 09. So, so challenges for sure, and inventory challenges, as, as mentioned, might limit some near-term growth. But the optimistic forecast, which we're calling at 25% likelihood, is this gray bar that kind of says, this looks more like a V-shaped recovery, which, uh, which is what everyone hopes for. Um, with some stimulus and a milder second wave, we could be you know, in this 14 million vehicle sales range this year and then back up over 15 next year. So optimistic, you know, great news. But then we could also go back uh, in the other direction in the pessimistic realm here in this, uh, this light blue color where we'd get actually below 12 million units for the year. And it assumes just this temporary recovery with you know a larger second wave and and lockdowns and not enough stimulus to really sort of you know have a backstop to hold up the economy so so when we think about the industry we think about it in scenarios again you know not none nothing like we've ever seen but very different and very interesting to watch so drilling down further into kind of this month to month view so we go back a year and we start to look at um, 2019 against 2020. And, you know, if we were worried about three points here and four points there last year, um, you know, seems like we were worried over spilled milk um, because the, the comparison, you know, is, is really difficult compared to this year. And all that stability that we saw in those numbers is really just in the rearview mirror and kind of an afterthought because you see we've we've entered this roller coaster ride of 2020 where march and april were truly devastating to the market and and began this ride where you you got nearly at 50% uh below last year's numbers in april we start to see movement back up in may um which is positive and july is now down to single digit year over year deficit at 8% so july shows us some resiliency in the numbers Retail sales have recovered um, better than fleet sales with, um, with, the, with the travel economy really being uh, stunted tremendously. So rental car sales and, and, the, and the fleet element are, are, are suffering. So um, auto consumers have incentives that are being driven by the OEM, 0% interest rates, and, and there's quite a bit of activity as we've seen that um, start to deliver. Moving forward through the seasonally annual adjusted rates, so the SAR, which is kind of the barometer for industry health that we look at every month, um, 
we expect a seasonality dip in August, which is fairly normal, but there's also some inventory availability issues. So, so our SAR for our August looks more like around 13 million. And the July number of 14 and a half is a really positive indicator because not only is it better than the prior four months, but it's, it was above our forecast of 13.2. And we think the, the rate of you know, 13 and a half to 14 million uh, SAR for, per month the rest of the way looks promising. Um, so that's, that's positive. Again, if things hold and our baseline scenarios maintain. When we start to talk about um, market share and how trucks, SUVs, crossovers um, play into the, you know, the realm of market share versus cars, we're starting to see just continued erosion of the share of cars in the market. And, and during this time period between March and July of last year versus March and July of this year, it's only increased. So trucks and SUVs and CUVs continue to gain ground at the expense of cars, which lost nearly four points of share during the same time last versus the same time last year. So, so we're seeing this trend and, it, and the trend just continues um, and it's significant. And we'll talk more about that with our panelists in a bit. And when you start to look at even just isolating the crossover category, which is obviously a massive category for the industry now, um, you, you look at 10 years ago, there was about 70 crossovers in the market. And three years ago, there were almost 100. Now we're looking at, um, in two years, 158 different crossover models available to the market with obviously various sizes like compact, subcompact, full size. But what, you know, what really this speaks to is it's becoming a crowded market in the space and what what are brands going to do to differentiate? You know, there's, there's obviously going to be importance of brand equity and technology. Um, the, the differentiating elements are going to be like really important for brands to um, put out there and ensure that they're standing out from this, you know, becoming a saturated market. So, um, so very interesting time for this category, which is obviously the hottest category in the space. And speaking of, you know, of hot categories, the electric market. So looking at, thanks to, you know, Tesla and Elon Musk, electric, electric vehicles are a hot topic always seemingly, but from a marketers, from a market perspective, Tesla owns the market right now. Um, and, and EVs will, will only really make up about 2% of vehicle sales this year, but, you know, Tesla is, is, the the leader here by far those numbers are quickly going to accelerate as well with plenty of new vehicle entries to the market from most of the major brands including the ones on this panel including volkswagen nissan ford and then new entrants like rivian and lucid and other brands that are coming to market so you know what we see is is that by 23, we'll see the EV market share more than triple. So there'll be over a million vehicles um, in 2023 sold that are electric, that are fully electric. And by 27, we're looking at double digit percentages. We're looking at, you know, about five times what it is now. So while it's not, you know, the mass, you know, end of the market, it's still only 10%, even seven years from now, we're talking about a 5X growth from where we are today 
and uh, and huge upside and opportunity. So and again, something else we you know we'll touch on today. So with that, um, that's the data. Let's let's get into the conversation. And Joel, I will thanks, stop sharing thanks here. For the industry, thanks for the industry overview. Uh, that was that was you know really outstanding. And I feel like um, you know we've all gotten a crash course in economics with you know V-shape and U-shape and L-shape recoveries. Um, but with that, I, let's start off, you know, with kind of the first questions here. Let's, and Jim, I'll, I'll start with you. So we sort of heard, you know, Joe's sort of industry analysis, and I'm sure you had a plan, you know, pre-COVID, and I'm sure that plan maybe has changed uh, relative to the state that we're in now, and you're trying to project, you know, what will happen at the end of the year, uh, and maybe even into uh, uh, 2021. But if you could, if you, if you could just discuss with us, um, you know, how your playbook has has changed and maybe how you're thinking your playbook might might change uh, for the remainder of the year, maybe even into 2021 from an advertising, marketing, media perspective. Sure. Um, I think the reality that we've all come to pretty quickly here is that our two, two, two important variables, marketing resource and time, are incredibly more precious than they were in February. And I think that reality has forced a lot of adjustments um, to overall strategic plans that we're making. But most importantly, is we have got to be really good at identifying buyers inside a shopping pool, not just shoppers inside a shopping pool. There is, there is little margin for error right now. And it's, it's the time where you hope you've done your homework to understand audiences, to understand signals um, of their intent. Um, and how serious that intent is. So that's that's where we're primarily focused, but you cannot take your foot off brand. Um, there is case study after case study in economic downturns of brands, both blue chip and secondary, who have come out so much stronger with so much more momentum once pent up demand can be released into the market um, for those who have branded well. So it is a critical balance. It is truly threading a needle. Um, but the, the vertical efforts for in-market shoppers right now have to be intense and they have to be super, super accurate. Yeah, that's the, you're right. I mean, this distinction between, you know, buyers, shoppers, and then having this focus on brand seems like the correct thing. But Angela, I'll, I'll, pose, the, I'll pose the exact question to you. You know, how are you sort of thinking about your, your playbook today versus, versus uh, I'll say, uh, you know, uh, pre-COVID? Well, first of all, thank you for having me be here. And I, I completely agree with Jim's uh, comments, um, tracking on a lot of the same fronts. You know, pre-COVID, we, we had a new strategy we were going to adopt in 2020. And part of that was, and your setup slides were so good, um, because Hyundai was a little late to coming to the market with CUVs and SUVs. Um, and that put us in a different position in previous years on how we went to market because we didn't really have the product lineup that customers were quite looking for. We had done a lot of hard work with uh, doing audience segmenting and targeting and doing in-market video because we weren't getting on the shopping list because our, our brand just wasn't delivering quite what people were looking for. So 2021, 2020 to 2021, we have a completely different Hyundai on our hands. Um, it's a really exciting time to be at the company. And we had a lot of wind at our back coming into the year. And of course, COVID hit and we all had to react. And we made our most dramatic changes, mostly to spend. 
um, in our investments that we made. And some of that was due because it was appropriate uh, because there were lots of markets that were shut down. It really affected a lot of our dealer networks across the country. But it also was, we lost a lot of great content that we generally buy, like live sports. We did a lot of in cinema and of course that was affected. And uh, as we moved through the early part of the summer, we, we kept that. Uh, we also changed all of our messaging also to be sensitive to the market and what were people were looking for. But as we've come back, um, we've really been refocused on getting back to that original plan that we had started at the beginning of the year, which is focusing on our new product lineup. And we still have new product that'll come this year. But you know, it is, uh, it is threading a needle. Uh, Jim put it just right. Uh, we're making adjustments daily and we're still trying to keep our focus on that long-term goal of you know hitting as close to our business uh, goals as we had set in place but it's been tricky i mean we're not out of covid we thought we might be a little more out of it by this point than we are so we're definitely in this new normal and the new normal is that it's not normal <laughs> be something else for us to deal with uh, and i think having a lot of flexibility uh, to what you do was part of it. And we engage in every channel that's available. Um, it's just a really complex uh, customer journey uh, if to, for buying the car. And so for us, we just need to show up at all the right places. Well, quick follow-up, Angela. And, and I'll, I'll pose the same question to you, Jim. Um, and you, you mentioned, you know, that we're not in a normal, right? I mean, could we potentially be in a, um, in a new normal, if not permanent, then some sort of longer term normal that as a marketer, it makes you, you know, think about, you know, various ways to continue to engage that you might not have done prior to COVID? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, you know, we have COVID, then of course we had um, the terrible and unfortunate death of George Floyd and all the protests. Um, it seemed like every day there was another thing we were needing to address and, and, and take care of. And I think that is part of what we might have to deal with moving forward. I think that flexibility to, you have to have a plan, you have to have a strategy, but then you also have to have some flexibility in that plan because responding to the marketplace is really key. Consumers are very savvy and they want brands that understand where they are uh, and what they need and how do you show up appropriately with the right message and in, in what space where they are. And I think that's the tricky place we're in right now. But I think having a mindset of, you know, we'll never be able to predict, predict the future. And I think it's taught all of us to just be very creative in our solutions and you try to get it right. There's a lot of test and learn in, in the background that you, you hope that some of these will stick and, and you'll continue to move forward. But I definitely would not think that life may not go back 100% to normal. And at one more note, even with the way that people shop and buy for cars, I mean, a big shout out to our dealers who adopted a lot of new digital retailing tools. We had a lot of dealers who did that, but not all. Now today, they're all on digital retailing platforms and they all offer home delivery. You can do a remote test drive. And so all those things, you know, people may wanna go back to the dealership and kick the tires before they buy the car, but there's other ways for you to, to purchase the vehicle too. And I think those are some of the things that'll stay in place. Thank you, Angela. Similarly for you, Jim, um, you know, you, you, you kind of made this distinction between um, you know, really honing in on buyers versus shoppers. And then of course, you know, maintaining, you know, ensuring that you're, you're communicating brand, you know, values, but is, has that, might that, is there, is it different now? And it might it be different for a longer period of time, given some of the things that Angela discussed? 
I'm not sure in the aggregate it's different. I think it's just more intensified right now. Everything is more intensified right now. I mean, Angela hit right on it. Buyer's expectations of the process, uh, purchaser's expectations of everything from having our food delivered to how we deal with the grocery store to everything else right now is evolving. I think it's a little early to say this is the new normal, um, particularly pending where we go over the next six months. If we go back into a shutdown, I think it changes the whole dynamic. If we continue to evolve out of that, that's a different dynamic as well. But I think um, consumer expectations are forever changed in the way they think about going to an office, in the way they think about buying a car, as I said, food, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we're gonna have to adapt quickly uh, once we kind of hit a window of time where we can sustain whatever uh, normal really is. Um, but I think from a brand perspective, we have to be super sensitive to cultural influences, and I don't think that will ever change now. Um, and I think a brand better be completely authentic to what they truly are, because whether someone is in market and a buyer inside that shopper pool or not, I think they're paying pretty close attention. Thank you, Jim. Joe? Okay, great. Yeah, so, so moving on to another topic, which, uh, which I touched on in, in the data earlier, but both, both of you represent brands that, are, that have sedans that are, that are very integral to the success uh, of your portfolio of vehicles. How do you think about uh, you know, this, obviously, this, this, you know, this market share change that's happening among consumers and how they're evolving um, more toward the CUV, SUV truck categories, but also supporting, obviously, sedans still make up a large part of sales. How do you continue to support the models and evolve them and, and demonstrate their value to, to consumers over time here as, as the industry gets a little more crowded around the larger vehicles? Yeah. Uh, Angela, I'll throw that to you first. Sure, I'm happy to take this one first. Well, sedans are still important to our portfolio, and that's part of being, you know, um, North America as part of the global company for Hyundai. And we are best known for our Sonata, um, and that's just because it's a long-standing sedan. It's a mid-sized sedan. It's been in the U.S. for quite some time. And as I mentioned before, we were a little late coming to the market with uh, our portfolio of SUVs for uh, the U.S., and we finally caught up. We now have a full lineup, which is terrific, and we're feeling a little bullish about having that right product. Um, but the sedans are still there. We launched an all-new Sonata this year. In fact, we put it on the Super Bowl, uh, which wouldn't have been a normal choice. We might have focused on a, a different kind of vehicle, but that's how important that vehicle still is. And we're going to launch a new Elantra here in the next couple of months. And we're finding that, you know, one thing that is interesting about the pandemic especially in markets where people really relied on public transportation. If you were you know, self-quarantining at home in a small apartment and you generally used a city and public transportation to live your life and, and then suddenly you couldn't, there was a lot of pent up demand in some of these key markets for people wanting to purchase a vehicle. And I think a value uh, option like Hyundai that doesn't break the wallet but gives you all the safety and technology and styling that now that everyone expects in a vehicle I think has been a, a good option uh, and I think a lot of younger buyers you know a sedan is still a, an okay choice as long as it has technology um, and the safety not everybody wants to put the money down for a big SUV too so for us it's still a very important part of our portfolio. 
All right, makes sense. Thank you, Angela. Jim, your thoughts on that category? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what Angela's saying. The, the dynamics are the same, I think, across multiple OEMs. In Honda's case, and I have the, the good fortune of representing American Honda, they have a, a robust portfolio outside of sedans, but obviously the, the brand equity was built uh, with models like Accord and, and Civic. Um, but no denying the fact that the market has constricted um, and shifted uh, over time, and that is not looking to reverse itself. Um, but there are still a significant amount of sedan and tenders out there. I just think they're coming from different places. And, and as I spoke to earlier, making sure we've got our signals intact and are understanding what people are communicating to us, very focused on people who are sedan stayers or people who don't look to jump segments versus those who do look to jump out of sedans and follow the trend, if you will. Um, so there's opportunity there to put relevant messaging in front of people that look to stay in those types of vehicles. Angela hit on it with, with first-time buyers coming out of the, the Uber dynamic into maybe I do need a car, so a small sedan is, is a nice entry point for that. There's also a dynamic that I think we will see. We saw it in the, um, the economic downturn of 08 and 09, where you had folks who were first-time luxury buyers, oftentimes sedans, obviously. Um, so they are three, two or three years into that first luxury experience economics get a little tougher, they move back down to mass and move back down to mass in sedan. So that's another opportunity we're watching closely right now as this continues to evolve. Great, thank you both. Randall, back to you. Um, Jim, I'll, I'll pose this question first uh, uh, for you and it kind of revolves around uh, media mix allocation and has, has the pandemic change the way you think about you know medium mix allocation i know in our in our pre-meeting we we talked a little bit about uh things like live sports right and you know automakers in general are big investors in in media that uh that involves live sports but if you could just speak to us a little bit i mean there's broad categories of digital and you know linear tv and, and live sports but in general how, how are you thinking about media mix allocation today that might be different than than yesterday yesterday meaning february <laughs> february yes <laughs> um I, I think i think you see tweaks i'm not going to say there's aggregated change at a dramatic level i think it's what we're doing inside those mixes um you know you're still as i said you've still got to stay on brand to some extent you've got broader channels to help you do that then you've got the heat-seeking missiles of programmatic and everything else that we're doing to try to seek out those signals and find those true buyers uh, in, the, in the near term and the midterm, but at the same time build the demand um, for out months and, and out years. Um, I think the, the what we saw in terms of media consumption when everyone went home you know, we all, as we say, we all stood there in our pajamas and watched the news 24-7. And then that started to change. And then we all ran for entertainment. And when we ran for entertainment, we actually ran to streaming, a lot of which is not ad supported. So we've got to find unique ways. And I don't think those dynamics are going to change. I think people settled into the multitude of streaming choices they have, for example. We're not, we're not saturated with the number of streaming subscriptions we have, apparently. Ask people at Peacock and Disney and, and they'll tell you how well it's going. 
Um, and I don't know if we're going to talk specifically about the sports issue, but that one is ginormous and one that I, uh, I would love to speak to when, when you're ready. Angela, similar, similar question uh, for you about kind of the media mix and maybe, maybe even pick up a little bit up on uh, this kind of growth in, in, you know, digital sort of non ad supported streaming. Yeah, uh, uh, Jim, you and I are tracking with each other so much today. I, I completely agree with your comments again. Um, and it is about the aggregate. We did make tweaks. Live sports, massive. It's a huge one for us. We, we have Sunday night football. It's a big place for us. We show up as a brand there. We, we felt like we finally had traction uh, at, with football, that that's a place where, you know, football fans show up and, and we were becoming a regular face for that. The, the question of live sports coming back and the way that it's coming back, I mean, we hope it comes back big uh, because we really rely on live sports. It's one of the best ways for us, um, for us to really get our brand out in front of, you know, those fans and, and have messages that, you know, really resonate. And so that's a, that's a really big one. The other really big one that changed for us dramatically was experiential. We had a very big experiential budget. We love engaging and touching with consumers. It was a way for us to help build our brand, especially since we now have all this product we want to share with people and let them know there's a, there's a new Hyundai on the horizon and it's here today. And that really hurt us a lot. And, and figuring out ways to engage with people when you may not be able to physically touch them any longer, how do you do that? And so we're trying to come up with new ways of bringing an experience um, through digital channels is one, but how else can we maybe do a physical presence with maybe a smaller audience, but then also touch a lot larger audience that, that couldn't participate. I love ideas that some brands are jumping on. I like even bringing back the old, um, you know, outside movie theaters like I went to as a kid. Um, I think those are great ways. And I think those are some of the positives, but that's what I would call them from the pandemic where Families learned how to spend new time together and have shared experiences. I think watching um, streaming videos together, Disney Plus is a massive hit and success. That just is reminiscent of how to build new memories together and how do you do that. And I think that drive-through theater or cinema experience is a, is a really good one. Um, so getting into different platforms and trying new things, I think, is part of the future of how to see that, how that fits within ways to kind of short areas where we've lost an ability to engage with customers as we have in the past. Um, a related follow-up, uh, Angela, um, there, you know, there are a number of media entities like you know, what I work for Pandora that, yes. that are investing heavily in, in, in sort of spoken word audio, specifically podcast content. And I'm just wondering as an, as an auto marketer, what you think about that growing audience, right? It's clearly a growing audience, but you know, this ability or maybe not of, you know, reaching customers you care about for, for the Hyundai brand and engaging those customers through that, through, through, through podcasting or audio in general. Yeah. You know, podcasts are great. I mean, we, we've been looking at them for a long time. You know, we used to invest a lot more in radio. Um, I think that's a little more of a local buy for us now today, uh, but not as much as we had um, just because we used to do news um, and really people are engaging in more podcasts. So it's that content that's really important. The hard part about a, an audio medium for a car manufacturer is that we can't show the beautiful sheet metal, but that doesn't mean you can't align with uh, 
a podcast and, and play a role as a brand and help support that podcast. I think you have to show up in a way that doesn't feel intrusive or feels uh, bolted on. And it's like, why would, why would Hyundai be talking to me right now in this moment? And I don't think anyone likes just the sponsored by anymore. I think you have to be a much more creative about how you use that medium. But to your point, a huge audience that's growing. And I think it's because people do show, want to show up when they want to, to, to get that content on an ongoing basis. It's, it's definitely something that people go back to over and over again. And I think that's a really positive thing about a medium like podcasts. Jim, any thoughts on kind of audio spoken word podcasting from a, from a media perspective in, ter in terms of engaging uh, your automotive audiences? Yeah, I mean, we've been active in podcasts and I think the, the pluses we see is sort of the water cooler effect of podcasts. You know, it is a, it is a word of mouth um, distribution opportunity, um, much like we see in the streaming world. And I think if that leads to engagement, we all win. Sight, sound, and motion is a challenge. Angela hit on that, but we just have to work to be creative around that. I think to the point we were talking about earlier with, with changes in mix and, and particularly live sports, you've got two issues with live sports. How do you replace the scale? There is no such thing as a 10 rating outside of the NFL. It goes from a 10 to a one really, really fast. Then there's the engagement piece. We are a society right now, and I think since we all went home, that has delved pretty quickly into escapism. If you look at consumption patterns around entertainment, it just feeds that. Sports is the ultimate example of escapism for many of us. Me, who is about to go into a dark, deep depression as college football leaves me um, for this fall, is perfect proof of that. Where are people gonna put those energies? And where should marketers be to, to be in a position to capitalize on whatever that is? That's, that's the hard work we've got to do. And we've got to do it fast because we don't have all the answers yet. We don't know if the NFL will be compromised. We think college football be, will be. But the University of Nebraska announced this morning they'll play football even if the Big Ten doesn't allow it. So that could change the entire landscape of not only how we view and enjoy sports, but how we transact as marketers with the people who distribute them. Good answer. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Joe, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, thanks, Randall. Um, Angela, come back to you on this one. Uh, marketing, you know, all, all this, these different dynamics we're talking about, you know, with challenges with live live events not being available and um, and being able to really get to the right consumer. What about just in general marketing during a, a downturn or a recession? It, it requires a very elegant approach to balancing spending considerations for the brand, right? You're, you're looking at the world going, okay, our sales are down, the industry sales are down, as well as consumer sensitivity, right? You've got a difficult job market and you've got a bunch of unknowns that consumers are facing when it comes to making a large purchase. So, you know, how do you thread the needle between these dimensions and think about this dynamic? And, you know, I, I mean, the one thing that's really positive here too is, you know, Hyundai was obviously a very solid case study for this during the last recession with the assurance program. Um, so, so, so give us some thoughts about how you think about that balance between consumer sensitivity and needing to sell vehicles and move metal and, and how you market the, the messaging the right way. 
Yeah, the sensitivity is, is such a good question. And it was one we, we were sensitive to, knowing that co consumers would be sensitive. I, I think because we're a South Korean owned company and South Korea did a very good job of managing the pandemic in their own country. And it's because they brought testing forward very quickly, but we were watching them and we, we, we didn't know when it might come to the US or how big, but we had talked about it, I would say mid, earlier than mid-March, probably just after, just after February. So we thought, okay, what will happen? The first thing we did, to, thank you for bringing it up, we did relaunch Hyundai Assurance a little bit different package, uh, but we, we launched that very quickly in the market that launched on March 17th. And that was basically to say, hey, we need to make sure that our owners and any potential new customer that might be interested in buying a car, that we have their back, that will help them with deferred payments should they be affected financially due to COVID-19. That was the first thing we did. And then right after that, we saw other auto, auto manufacturers jump in and a lot of them were manufacturing the ventilators the personal protection equipment, things of that nature. And we thought, gosh, we want to reach out to the community too. And we didn't think anyone had really delved into how to bring testing uh, to people. Um, really tricky. We had crazy ideas in those moments, like, well, maybe we'll do a testing center right here in Fountain Valley. I mean, what were we thinking? We we're not medical experts. I mean, it's very complex. Um, but thankfully, we had some good guidance from our counterparts in South Korea. We did align with a company called Seagen. They provide a, a COVID test. Um, they're a South Korean company, one of the best. And we work through our corporate social responsibility, Hyundai Hope on Wheels, which we do with our dealers, uh, which that program is for every Hyundai that's sold, a portion of that vehicle go, goes towards pediatric cancer. So through that avenue, we went to first 11 children hospital, then expanded it to general hospitals, children's hospitals, general hospitals, and now we've just added a, another site in Boyle Heights, which is very affected. Um, it's an a, a area here in Los Angeles, a heavy Hispanic, um, that's just being hit really hard right now with COVID. We've donated about $4.3 million to help those testing centers bring testing uh, to people. And so that was something we did. Those programs was what we put into market in our messaging. We took off everything we'd been doing before we did turn down our spend um, and that was appropriate. And as we move forward, you know, we do want to get back to business for those who do want to buy a vehicle, um, but we are sensitive too. Um, we use a lot of things to try to speak to the right people in the right part of the journey. But, you know, it, it is that balance of, you know, how do you keep your, your social corporate responsibility and, and the sensitivity to, to the market going, as well as also getting back to sharing information to consumers who are ready to, to shop and buy. Um, and so that's the balance that we're in right now, but we're, we're pretty much focused on getting back to business as quickly as possible. Great, thank you. Makes sense. Uh, Jim, any thoughts on, on this, this balance and on how you guys are approaching the market for Honda? I, uh, I love the fact that you said that marketing in a downturn requires elegance um, because it certainly does. Um, I'm not sure elegance is the word we use some days, but it's definitely disciplined. Um, yeah. You know, the, if you look at every other uh, economic downturn we've, we've been through in the past and you look at a category like automotive and you look at the players, you can quickly see who had brand equity going in 
and what level do they have coming out? And then what activity did they do to make that incremental when they came out of a darker period? The, the discipline around it has to come where there is such dramatic near-term needs. We, the charts you showed at the beginning tell the story. Those kinds of dips from an all-time market high are not easily rectified. And so there is a, a human reaction to incentivize, incentivize, incentivize to catch up to the volume um, and the gross revenue, but at what cost to margin and to brand. And so that's where the discipline has to come in. Because when you come out, you don't want to come out as a manufacturer where people's expectations is you will continue to be on sale um, because that will ultimately eat into margin and profitability, which kills you from an R&D standpoint down the road. I mean, we have to remember how we act today will have huge consequences on where we are two or three years from now. Yeah, great, great thoughtful answers from both of you, appreciate it. Randall, you're back. So Angela, um, Joe's last chart uh, was that sort of graphic that showed kind of the growth in EVs, electric vehicles between now and I think it was 2027. 20, and if I recall correctly, it's you know still only like 10% of the market in the next you know five, six, seven years or whatever. Um, Auto News last week, and I think the week prior had a three-part uh, podcast series with Elon Musk. And I want to talk about him. He gets a lot of, he gets enough ink, right? He gets enough. <laughs> yeah. But I do want to talk about kind of that category of sure. EVs. It seems like the automotive world, pretty much every company, auto company and brand that I can think of is investing heavily. And, you know, we're going to see product between now and, you know, well into the future. Uh, Joe and I were sharing an article uh, a couple of hours ago where I think I saw that um, Tesla, the Model 3, you know, sedan sales were a lot bigger than other non-EV uh, sedan. So I, I guess I'm wondering, you know, what, what are your thoughts as a marketer? I mean, do you ever think that you might be losing sedan sales to an electric vehicle or is all of this like too early to tell? I mean, what, how do you, how do you, how do you, Jim mentioned a term like, uh, what was it? Brand equity. It seems like Tesla's already built brand equity and it doesn't seem to matter as much to, to, you know, automakers today, but I'm just wondering how, how as a marketer, you think about that now? Well, we, we look at Tesla. I'm uh, our executive vice chairman, E.S. Chung. He uh, really loves Elon Musk. And he as he's been in his seat for about two years. He is very focused on connectivity, connectivity, mobility and electrification. In fact, just yesterday, Hyundai in South Korea announced the fact that we're going to have an all electric platform. It will be called Ionic. We have an Ionic today, but it, it has multiple uh, engine options. But this will be all electric. It's designed for all electric. And you, it's really important for our lineup. It will still be um, a smaller portion than our overall uh, options. But some of that is due to the adoption of all electric in the US. I think that's due partly to infrastructure. I still think people have um, range anxiety. Um, and those kinds of issues, which I think hybrid is always a good option for people who want to green up a you know, vehicle, but they're not quite ready to go all electric. Electrics, just from the technology standpoint, has just taken off. It, it will be an important part of our product mix. The complexity as the marketer is it's another thing to talk about 
which then eats into your overall investment and where do we focus those um, efforts. But to us, to say we have an electric platform uh, to try to be a leader in that space, I mean, it has a halo for the brand. So we will talk about it and we will want to share that. Um, and it might have a little bit different, I think, priority just because of that importance of showing that technology and innovation um, and, and knowing what it's done for Tesla. You know, we would love to have people think of Hyundai as being a technology leader. So, but the complexity is finding the right money to support all of these vehicles um, for whatever someone's need is. Thank you, Angela. Jim, any, I mean, any thoughts there? I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, Honda sort of established obviously itself as a, as a, as a maker and seller, particularly in the U.S. of, of Civic and Accord, still, you know, known for that in a, in a very giant brand equity way, but any thoughts on this kind of EV space, maybe Tesla in general, is there any impact on the way you, you approach marketing, advertising, media today, and may, will there be any impact in the, in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think, Angela hit on all the key points. Um, I think it is an arms race for the OEMs for the most part, particularly if you look at expectations for volume. Um, but this comes down to, to, to me, two key factors, which is the econometrics of it and consumer perception. Yeah. And it is an education process like we may have never seen. It's not like just entering a hot SUV category with the latest entry and telling people that it exists. Um, consumer perceptions here are incredibly value and uh, incredibly important. And I don't think the value exchange has really seeped into our culture yet. The, the perceptions around infrastructure and uh, range anxiety to Angela's point, those are all real. And I think particularly in a moment like this, it's even more complicated to break through with a completely alternative type message for the larger majority of the population. So the challenges continue, but we're going to have to get it figured out because the, the volume expectations are too high to ignore. Got it. Thank you. Joe, I'm going to turn it over to you. This, you know, this might end up being our last question before we, you know, try to get some uh, Q&A from the, from the audience. Yeah, we have a lot of, a lot of interest and in, in questions. So um, I'll throw you, you one more. Uh, how important, and, and uh, Angela, I'll come to you first. How important is brand loyalty right now? versus other times in history? And, and what, what are the tactics that you're implementing to ensure that you're protecting the base? Uh, because you obviously have uh, a situation where you're not going to have as many sales, but you have uh, a foundation of customers that, and we've seen in, in previous recessions, uh, consumers start to become a little nomadic during this time because they're throwing offers and opportunities to save money and, and they think with their wallets first and not so much with, with the, the loyalty to a brand. So, so how do you think about that now um, with, with everything going on? Yeah, such a good question. Brand loyalty is always important. It's, it's, I hate to put it in this context, but it is a lot cheaper to keep someone within the brand than trying to conquest someone from outside of the brand. Hyundai, because we did not have the full lineup we have today for the last couple of years, we, we lost some of that loyalty um, because we just didn't have the product. And so people were coming out of vehicles. We didn't have it. They went on to other competitors. That hurts. It hurts a lot. So the good news is in the last, I would say, 12, 16 months, we, 18 months, we've seen a very strong uh, change in that trend. And it's, it's because we've got product that people want. And I think that's really terrific. But 
we, we talk to our consumers um, all throughout the time that they're an owner um, of a Hyundai vehicle. We want them to stay within the brand and we want them to know about any new product offerings. So we use, you know, all the channels that would be expected there. You know, we do um, email, we do uh, even newsletters. They, um, they get invited to a, a special events. Um, anything that we can do, plus, you know, if there's a chance for them to, if they have a lease, turn that in early, maybe reduce a payment or keep a payment for an upgrade to a car, all those things we try to do to, to keep, you know, people within the brand. But it's a really important part, and every OEM wants to keep their brand loyalty and keep their owner base um, strong because it is important for, for keeping the momentum going. Yeah, thank you. So, Jim, for, from... The Honda perspective, you know, again, a lot of loyalty to the brand. Um, how are you guys thinking about that now? I mean, brand loyalty is is paramount. Um, you said it. You've got to protect the base. Um, COVID aside, um, we're facing some new dynamics. If you believe the latest statistics, we've gone from a journey of six months to four, shrinking to three pretty quickly that changes the whole dynamic. The marketing window is tighter, everything else. The second is six in 10 new car buyers today say that they had the make locked in that they ultimately purchased at the end of that journey. That says we're dealing with very few swing voters. That's what I refer to them as. And so we have to be really clear about the signals shoppers are sending us if they look to stay in a segment like our sedans or if they look to jump. Because if you're a Honda or a Hyundai with the, the sedan portfolios that we have, if you see somebody that looks to be considering jumping segments, they're lifting their head up for the first time. They're willing to date other manufacturers because they're looking to see what's available in the segments they're interested in. That's a dynamic caused by this SUV shift that makes us focus very clearly on those signals. Um, to understand them, but all the all the CRM efforts have to be heightened um, right now to try to move people easily into the next vehicle inside the portfolio without having to do battle. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Yeah, we were, at IHS, we're seeing uh, you know we were seeing the highest loyalty rates across the industry coming into the pandemic period, about fifty-five percent. Um, so we're going to take a keep a very close eye on how that. Um, how that evolves during this period and afterward. So uh, very good, good feedback from both. Matt, I'll, I'll kick it back to you for um, some of the Q&A that we're looking at here. I know there's a lot of interest. Thanks, Joe. Uh, yeah, there's some great, great uh, questions coming in. Awesome panel. Um, and by all means, jump in, Randall or Joe. But this, I thought, was an interesting question, Angela and Jim. And it's basically how do you convince uh, the financial minds at the OEM to invest in brand mid-funnel tactics, right? As we keep talking about the equity of the brand in a time right now that's just so difficult with so much pressure and focus on lower funnel and generating sales. And whoever would like to start please. Well, go, Jim, or do you want to go? It's really hard. I'll say that. <laughs> well, may, I'll, I have a, maybe a different answer than that would be expected, I think. Um, for us at Hyundai, because we have a brand that is relatively undefined, 
Um, I don't know if it perfectly stands for what I think I would love people to have it stand for. Um, you know, we are really in a, a, a good position to build new fans of the brand. And a lot of it is we've been waiting for this time period of having this full portfolio. While we were waiting the last couple of years, we got really good at identifying these signals and audiences and doing a lot of in-market. Um, but Jim is so right. I mean, it's really hard to even get people to conquest they generally have in their mind. Um, maybe one to two brands, it, 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 I think it is getting less that people know the make that they're gonna ultimately buy. Um, and that's really hard. So building the brand for us is one of the key initiatives that our CEO asked me as an uh, incoming CMO, I came in at the end of last year, to say we really have to build our brand. Um, and building the brand is, is so important for an OEM because it just makes everything else go so much more smoothly. I mean, how much better is it that people want to come to your brand? I mean, I, I, I really look to Honda as, you know, we're very jealous of brands like that that have had such great success and people know what that brand stands for, what they get when they buy that product. We call it the driveway test. You know, if someone came home with a Honda and your neighbor saw that, they're like, I totally get why you buy that car. That isn't necessarily true today on a Hyundai, although I'll tell you, you will be happy with your new Hyundai. It's, they're fabulous cars. They really have come a very, very, very long way. But for us to build the brand, um, you know, we're not stopping our lower funnel tactics by any means, but we've been given, you know, basically an invitation by our CEO to build this brand. Of course, he would like us to do it very, very, very quickly. Um, and that's taking a lot of hard work on a lot of people's parts to, to get us there. So be looking for that very shortly, though. We're very excited about our new product. And the time is right. But this is a time for us to have a new conversation with consumers. And so for us, it's one of our key initiatives moving forward into the end of 2020 and into 2021. Yeah, I would, I would echo all of that. Um, I think now is the time in a disciplined, elegant approach. Um, to use every tool at your disposal. We do a lot of modeling. And so you're looking at understanding the impact of what you do today on near-term sales and brand effects, but equally important how you behave today, how you spend, what your mix is, what your allocations by car lines are, what your competitive pressure is, how you behave today in a spend mix, how that will translate in years two and three beyond the near term in terms of both brand effects and sales so that you have some proof points to hold on to otherwise i think the instinct is to is to move the metal and and we'll solve for that down the road and it's down the road we really should be concerned about right um you both talked a little bit about this uh, in terms of experiential but this I thought was a good question was what's your feeling and thoughts on virtual launches and auto shows that are moving more towards virtual. What do you, what do you guys see in the, in the crystal ball as that uh, future unfolds? Jim, do you, you want, again, you want to go this time first or you want me to? We're probably a little more involved in experiential things like uh, auto shows and that type of thing. I, I'll just comment that I think it comes back to consumer expectations. And if those are evolving, we need to zig and zag to be where they expect us to be. I will say that the, the traditional model of all of that is terribly, terribly expensive. 
so it's going to be under a lot of scrutiny if it cannot be tied to a return. Yeah, I that that is so true, Jim. Uh, and we we did a uh, we were at all the auto shows or a majority of them. I mean, it has changed. We we launched uh, did our global Elantra launch virtually. That was shot on March seventeenth. These dates are becoming seared in my mind. Um, but we were supposed to have, you know, live journalists come to this big event. It was going to be a, a live webcast because it was global, but we did it in LA. Of course, with COVID, we had a very, very small skeleton crew, no journalists. And we did that as a live webcast. It, it, it actually worked just, just great. Um, I think we brought the car to life as best we can. It had a high entertainment value. I mean, all the things that we do, that we do at an auto show, uh, was it expensive? Yeah, I mean, we still had to produce it, but it, it wasn't probably as expensive as it is to not only um, buy the space, get the cars there, and all the all the things that go into an auto show, but also all the people that we send to those auto shows, including not just from uh, the OEM, but our agencies and, and everything else. So as much as I love the in-person, and I think everyone uh, will miss a part of that, I do think there's an element of uh, some sort of virtual capability that will be expected um, to have audiences around the globe probably to participate, not just those that can physically get there. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, auto shows are deeply affected right now. All right. I, I know we're getting close uh, on time here, but I, I would love to ask you guys if uh, you look into the crystal ball a little bit, at least with you know, college football seems like it might not go the way that the gym needs it to go. Uh, I don't want him to go into deep depression. Um, but what do you think? Give me your best shot on the NFL. Do, do, will they pull it off? Um, is it going to be a different, a different season, kind of like what the NBA or MLB is doing or NHL? But will NFL figure it out? Will we have Sundays, ladies and gentlemen? I'm going to stay positive and take told <laughs> us that it will because we want it to happen so badly. Um, we'll see. I mean, there's there's still a lot of positivity that they'll pull it off in some way, shape, or form. I think people are super hungry for sports. So however they, they pull it off, I think it'll be the new accepted way. Um, you know, hoping to have fans in the stadium. I don't know. But we, we hope it comes to light. We hope it comes to light. I like, I like your positivity. I, I agree with it because I think we're, the passion is so strong that people are hell-bent to figure out how to do this. Yeah. I think there's two big issues. Money, always, and that's driving the fact that we're still having the conversation and not just throwing out the season right now. But the second is liability. And I'm the furthest thing in the world from a lawyer, as those of you who know me know me. Um, but that's why I think the collegiate world will fold pretty quickly. It's very different signing a waiver for health when you're making uh, $25 million a year versus you're a student athlete. And um, I think that's, uh, I think that's going to be the factor. But as, as people said, for, for uh, all the people who um, maybe don't believe that we need to be super safe and all those things right now, uh, if you told them they wouldn't have college football in Alabama, they would probably go the other way to make sure they can have it. So, 
And I actually saw pictures of the University of Oklahoma in 1918 or whenever we had the last pandemic, people literally sitting in a stadium with masks on. So it's, it's, it's bizarre, but we'll see what happens. Cross our fingers. Exactly, that's all we can do. Yep. All right, this has been uh, phenomenal. I think Don is gonna jump back on, but I will just say thank you to everybody on the panel. We greatly appreciate it. Mr. Don Lupo. Well, that was an incredible discussion. Uh, and as somebody who had been in uh, auto advertising for a long time, um, it's, I'm gonna say interesting. <laughs> uh, it's like the old curse, may you live in interesting times. Um, but um, your perspectives were amazing. Thank you all for sharing your expertise and your insights. Uh, and thanks to everybody who joined us today. One last reminder to please visit our website at thinkla.org to sign up for our newsletter and to stay up to date on upcoming events and industry news. Uh, please remember we'll be having another one of these auto discussions um, and that will lead up to our auto summit. We'll be sending out a survey later today and we rely on your feedback to help improve these events. We hope to see you at our virtual idea awards on Thursday. Again, thanks to our panelists and take care everybody. Please stay safe.